welcome into the Irish NFL show with me, Colm Cronin. And today I am delighted to be joined by a returning guest. He is an NFL aficionado, the OC for the Dublin Rhinos and also a Raiders fan, Steve O'Rourke. Welcome back to the Irish NFL show. Thanks for having me, Colm. Uh, when you introduce me like that, it sounds like I've chosen a lot of pain in my life. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I, I, I too have uh, ha- share share many of, of those, um, and obviously, I you know, I I will say my my Broncos have had more recent success, but also more recent awfulness, uh, probably, and uh, than than your your Raiders. But look, um, the I suppose the big story, obviously, of the the last week involving the Raiders is. The release of Derek Carr, which you know we all was coming uh, in some way, shape, or form ever since kind of that weird and wonderful decision um, announcement that the, the Raiders made uh, back in um, December. I I suppose just your your thoughts as a, a Raiders fan on how how it played out, and you know your your thoughts on Carr and his tenure in um, Oakland and Vegas. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> very Raiders end to uh, a, a Raiders career. I, I think, I think I'm probably in the minority of Raiders fans in that I've always held Derek Carr in very high esteem. Um, where he was at his best, that kind of 2016 up until the the injury reeled him out of the playoffs. Like people, it's so easy to forget that he was he was genuinely in the conversation for MVP. Um, and for me, for most of his career, he's been a top eight to top five quarterback. And I, I know I'm in the minority on that. I know there are other people who would have him much closer to the, the middle of the pack. But I think what you got with Carr was, with the exception of the really top tier guys, it was very difficult to know who would, who would you replace Derek Carr with? Like, you think about the conversation of uh, over the last three or four years where his future has kind of been in the mix. The players mentioned are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. They're not other middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks because when you have one of the better middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks, why would you replace him with, with someone arguably worse? So for me, I think he's been... It's one of those things where circumstance has just conspired against him having the type of career he probably should have had I mean, I think he's had something like eight offensive coordinators in his nine years with the Raiders, which is just an incredible volume to go through. And mix in that, the fact he's had, you know, what happened with John Gruden last year when he just developed a relationship with John Gruden. Uh, And there's all sorts of this. He's learned at least four completely new offenses. And the one he couldn't get to grips with is... uh, is this one and that's why he's being kind of shipped out the door and you know the Josh McDaniels system uh, Patriots fans will know there's only one quarterback who's run it who's run it like really well and it's the greatest quarterback of all time so uh, it, it it's not an easy system to run it relies a lot on asking particularly tight ends and, and, and fullbacks to become much more traditional receivers, which a lot of them weren't drafted to Raiders for with. Um, and, and I think it was, it was, 
when you bring in someone like Devante Adams and you don't make the playoffs, having made the playoffs the year before, one of two people is going to go and it's going to be the head coach or it's going to be the quarterback and the head coach had just come in so he wasn't going anywhere. So it wasn't a surprise. It's disappointing to me because I I think they're not bad enough to to get the next quarterback in the draft and I, with the exception with who knows what the Ravens are going to do with Lamar Jackson, I don't see a quarterback who comes in from another team who's better. Um I'm not in the let's get Aaron Rodgers in camp. I think Aaron Rodgers is very much in the on the downside of his career. Uh, and again, I'm probably in the minority there. But I, I just, it's a shame it ended like this. It's a shame that he doesn't have any playoff wins to his name because he is a better quarterback than his record will ever show. And I suppose in terms of for Carr himself, where where could you see him ending up? Do you think in terms of not accepting the the trade to the Saints? Was that just his, his agent and him thinking he might get a better deal? I'm just curious, where do you think he might fit? Well, I'm, maybe his agent uh, and himself looked at the Saints salary cap issues and thought, well, maybe not. <laughs> but I, I think it's really funny. I, I have a friend who's a Panthers fan and he is like, adamant that he doesn't want Derek Carr near the Panthers and I just think to myself Derek Carr instantly becomes the second best quarterback the Panthers have ever had like why would you not want him there like I, I just don't understand uh, some of the, the logic um, I'd hate to see him in the AFC because I'd hate to play him uh, or have the chance of playing him on a semi-regular basis because I think he, he would come back at, at, and do damage I think looking at the quarterback situation it, it feels like the AFC East or the NFC South would be the best landing spot for him because he probably becomes if not the best the second best quarterback in the division straight away and that obviously massively increases his chance to uh, to make the playoffs so I wouldn't be surprised with any of any of the teams in, in, in those divisions but the, the one that keeps popping up kind of semi-regularly is Chicago um, and if the rumours this week and obviously you can't believe anything that's happening around the Super Bowl or anything that happens around draft because everyone lies but it, the rumours are that Chicago aren't overly they're not tied to Justin Fields uh, now it would obviously mean an entirely new system again both, both for Chicago and, and, and for Carr but I do think that that's not a not the worst landing spot he could have. That's a team that's definitely going in the right direction. Um, but he might decide to go to a team in in a, a slightly easier division. I think than the, the Bears have to try and get out of. I think that's going to be his primary. I think that's going to be his primary uh, factor in his decision is going to be the ease with which he can get a playoff spot. And you kind of have to look at the NFC South or the AFC East. I know you've got I know you've got the Bills in the East and stuff like that, but that's what you've got. Everyone else is kind of up for grabs there, and and there's a, with with the way the playoffs obviously work now, you've got more of a chance of getting two or three teams in from a division. So, I yeah, I think having the AFC West be so competitive almost for all of Carr's career in Oakland and Vegas. I think he'll just want to go somewhere where there's a few more wins that you can just notch up before the season even starts. 
And in terms of the fact that he does divide opinion in, in such a fashion, it, it's interesting because it feels a little bit like everyone wants a QB now that is more than just a pocket passer, right? You, you, we're talking Mahomes. Um, the, the criticism of Hurts up until certainly this season, I think in particular, um, the Super Bowl performance, um, you know, he they can pass and run. And I know um, Kurt Menefee was on about this in, in the lead up to it, that you need QBs that can that can do everything. Is some of it that Carr, it, as a less mobile quarterback, I think I've seen him use his legs, but... And he looked against the Broncos. He was always, I mean, his timing and the ability to get the ball out quick to neutralize the pass rush was kind of underappreciated. Is that a factor, though, that we are in the era of the the QBs who can kind of, and on the flip side, poor, poor Justin Fields gets decimated because, you know, he has nothing to throw to. He's no protection. He just gets labeled a running back. I think race has a little bit to, to do with, with that. But um, do, do you think that some of it for Carr is the fact that he wasn't as mobile as maybe some of the other um, QBs? Is he of a, an older era, kind of that the Tom Brady, yes, the Peyton Manning pocket passer? 100%. And I think it, it's a fair criticism, especially as the way the, the NFL has gone or, or even, even over the last five seasons. Because let's be honest, there were quarterbacks you know, and you know, from Michael Vick kind of on, who, who were a dual threat, and 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 it was kind of more of a a gadget thing than it was the norm. And now it's the norm. That's what you expect. And even look at, you look at someone like Andy Reid. Andy Reid has his entire coaching career looks for a quarterback who can use his legs. Like Alex Smith, people think of him as a pocket passer, but you know, he he often get 40 or 50 yards in a game and that's because of the scheme that that that, that Andy Reid um, drew up. So I think that was a criticism. I think what was undervalued about Carr is that there are very, very few quarterbacks outside of Brady, Rodgers, Manning, who in the time that Carr was playing football had the variety of passes that Carr had. Carr could, Carr hit it, and he was underappreciated because a lot of the scheme up before um, before Bruden came in asked him, as you said, he had no protection, so he had to go for those quick passes. He had to go, you know, get the ball out of his hand quick, much much quicker. When they schemed away from that, that he finally had a deep threat in in Henry Rudd's third, um, you saw him go deep, and you saw him going deep well, consistently well. He was great. Michael Crabtree, like that season with Michael Crabtree, he was the two of them connected unbelievably well. He has touch on short passes. He has a cannon when he needs to use it, but and and that was underappreciated. But you're right. There, there's a huge amount of focus on a QB who can use his legs now. And unfortunately, every time Derek Carr ran with the ball, I was constantly worried he was going to fumble the amount. I think he probably has the most fumbles through the, through the end zone than any other quarterback in the history of the league. He seemed to do that quite a lot. Um, but in terms of his touch and in terms of his ability to to make any throw, I do think that was undervalued. And I do think anything that gets him, you accept that you don't have, you know, he's not going to beat you with his legs. He's never going to do that. But what he can do is, you ask him to make any throw and he will make it. Like he'll back himself to make it. Um, and I don't, I, I think there's, there's going to be, as there always is in, in the NFL, when, when the, everyone is digging, 
the team that zags is going to have the advantage. Um, and you see that with so many different positions, like, you know, all of a sudden linebackers could catch passes. So teams, offenses developed running backs who could plow through, who were much bigger, like the, your Derrick Henry's, who could plow through smaller linebackers who were there to catch passes. It always, it always kind of zigs and zags like that. And I'm not saying it's not like bootleg jeans. Cars not going to the pocket pass is not going to come back into fashion like that. But I do think that there's a value still in a QB who can, and this is the thing I think that was most undervalued about Carr. He can step up to the line of scrimmage and he will tell everybody what the defense is doing because he'll know he's an exceptionally smart quarterback. He's exceptionally good at reading coverages to the extent of probably since Manning, we haven't seen a player kind of dissect the defense as well as, as Carr has. And I know people are probably listening to this or, or, and kind of going, Jesus, who who was this guy watching? What's watching Derek Carr? But honestly, when you watched as many Raiders games as as I did, when they had no chance of winning and you still watched every snap, like every single time he'd go to the line of scrimmage and he'd come in, and this is how smart I think he is, he comes in with two plays every every play and he looks at the defense and he goes, kills one of the plays, goes with the other or changes it up. And I think all those skills have kind of been undervalued and underrated as we've moved towards Jalen Hurts and Pat Mahomes and things like that. But the thing... Thinking about Jalen, Jalen Hurts and Pat Mahomes is they don't come along very often, as we know, because when you ask your QB to run the ball a lot uh, or, or to be at least a threat with their legs, they tend to get hurt more and they tend not to have as long a career. And that's the payoff. And that's what you have to say to yourself is, is it worth the risk? Um, and, and, and for me, like, he's obviously an older quarterback now, but I still think you've got three or four seasons of really good production in Derek Carr if, if, if he decides to sign for your team. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see, obviously, where he does land. But you you mentioned that you're not a fan of, of Rogers coming in, and I I certainly I I'm, you're not alone in thinking you know he's he's on the down um, side. I mean, I, there were flashes last year where it was there, but I think overall, I wonder if the Packers could go back to April 2021 and take those three first that the Broncos offered. Would they would they uh, do that now? But who would you like to see or what would you like to see? Do you want to see them try the free agency or would you prefer, is there a QB in the draft? Would you go up in the draft? What would you do given that they are in the post-car era? Yeah, I I almost think you need to take this season off. <laughs> I don't think there's a QB I'd go up for, um, not at the cost that it's going to be to move up for one of the good ones. My fear is that they do move up, but not for one of the good ones, <laughs> which it would be a very Raiders move. Um, it It's a tough one because I think the free agent market, the thing is, if, if, if this was in a vacuum and you looked at all the free agent QBs available, Derek Carr is probably one you go after for the, you know, for the Raiders offense. So it, it is a tough one. I actually think the worst one, the for me, would be Jimmy Garoppolo because I think there's a lot of talk about it because they feel he can work with McDaniels um, and, and all of that, but he feels like the one in the least suited to running the McDaniels offense as well, plus the injury history and things like that. So I honestly don't know, and, and that's why 
they had to make the move that they did for cap reasons. I completely understand it. And they structured his contract to be fair in such a way that this always felt like the inevitable conclusion. What I think, where I think they made the mistake was, I think they made this decision in early October that they were going to move on from Carr. And yet they let him keep playing games and winning games when the obvious solution would be to turn to Stidham at that stage and see what you have and, and lose as many games and get, get up the draft. Um, so I'm genuinely not sure what direction they, they go with. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if they go after Rodgers. I honestly wouldn't because, you know, Devante Adams, and I'm sure Adams would love to work with, with Rodgers again and, and, and that. But I don't know. I think all the circus that comes with Rogers, plus as you know, we've both mentioned the decline in inability. So I really don't know. Like the dream would be that the Ravens decide to test the market with Lamar and they, they go there and like, but that's not happening. And I have to keep telling myself it's not going to happen, but that would be the, 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 the dream scenario. That would be in the best case scenario for me. And I wouldn't actually mind what they'd give up for that because you know the Raiders history of drafting hasn't been so hot so maybe free agency with giving away draft picks the uh the Rams is the way to go yeah that that Lamar piece is obviously going to be very interesting I certainly know plenty of Ravens fans who are fearing the worst and thinking that um they will move on uh, from him but Turning then and, and to get your opinion, right? Because I'm I'm totally biased on Josh McDaniels. He was an abject disaster in, in, in Denver. He truly was an agent of chaos. And you will meet plenty of Broncos fans who really, really, truly believe that Bill Belichick sent him in uh, to, to ruin the franchise. And he did a pretty good job. Um, but uh, a year uh, of Josh in uh, Las Vegas, uh, thoughts? I kind of wanted him out from game three. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan at all. And I know, like, I, I'm obviously, you know, at a very, 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 very different level. An offensive coordinator who tried his hand at head coaching himself and that ended in object failure as well. Cannot recommend highly enough only doing one job uh, rather than trying to do two. Um, but it, it's just, he's incredibly predictable as a play caller. If you were to turn around to me and say, okay, someone else is coming in and taking over play calling duties, I maybe I'll take it because he did seem to kind of... Adams like mentioned that McDaniels was one of the reasons he was happy to go there. Obviously, Carr was the biggest reason because they, they, they'd known each other so well. But like he clearly is a very smart play designer. And I think you just have to look at his playbooks, even his historical playbooks, and go... There's some incredibly smart concepts in there. What he's what he's bad at is play calling, and and and, and that's no like. There are some brilliant, brilliant play designers in the NFL who aren't good play callers, and they're, they're two different skills. They're two very, very different skills, and I don't think, I don't personally don't think enough people appreciate like what Andy Reid, say for example, is, is a really good play caller because he sets things up like five or six plays in advance and you can see it and you go, that's just massive brain, like a thousand IQ kind of offense calling. I know if it's third and eight or third and 10 or third and 12 that the Raiders are calling a screen 
and the defense that the Titans knows that the Raiders are calling a screen. I know if it's fourth and two, the Raiders aren't going to go for them fourth down, no matter how they set up. It's just all so like run on first down, pass on second down, screen on third down. I felt like I watched that a thousand times this season, and I think if if the NFL has shown us anything over the the past few years, the reward is in being unpredictable. The reward is in being aggressive and. People, I think, you know, we, we, we've often talked kind of, you and I have probably chatted about this on Twitter, actually, the difference between coaches who coach to win and coaches who coach not to lose. And you just see it. The coaches who coach to win are the ones consistently going to the playoffs and consistently going to Super Bowls. The coaches who coach to lose might keep their job this season, but they're gone next year. Um, and for all his faults and, and, and Gruden, very much deserved to go for everything that emerged. He was an aggressive play caller. He was an unpredictable play caller. He he would run sometimes, you know, what should have been like empty sets out of heavy sets. And, you know, it was all of those kind of unpredictable things that he did that made that Ra- Raiders team start to click and start to look really, really good. And it was the same with um, the Del Rio season, the, the 2016 season as well. Like, you know, that, that decision to go for two points, you know, at the end of the Saints game, instead of kicking the field goal and going to overtime, that set up the whole season. Like, one play can set up the whole season. And I think, like, it, that's what McDaniels will never do. He'll never, he'll never go for two when the draw or the overtime is on is on the table. And that saddens me because the Raiders have always had this reputation of being mavericks, of being kind of exciting and being unpredictable. And that's part of the reason I, I, I started following them in the first place because they had a kind of they had a kind of coolness and an edge to them that like a lot of teams now have but didn't have in like nineteen ninety five, God I'm old. But like that that was one of the things that drew me to that team. And now it's like, you know, George from accounts is running the team and it's just it's not fun and it's not Raiders football and honestly honestly like if it had been and this is why I'm not a billionaire and why I don't own an NFL team but if it had been my decision it, I'd have kept Carr and lost McDaniels, McDaniels even after one season I'd have happily done it I don't I don't see uh, the criticism of McDaniels is obviously well he was very successful with the greatest quarterback of all time and he's never had that success with anyone else and that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing someone whose offense is just a little bit too complicated and yet at the same time a little bit too vanilla. Um and that's an awful spot to be in. That's eight and that's eight and nine, like, you know, for three seasons. That's what it is. Um and yeah, it's it like our only like saving grace last year was, you know, and I'm sorry to bring this up, how bad the Broncos were. Um but I don't see any way the Raiders don't finish fourth in the division next year. Like, I, re- I really don't. like, And that's that's as bad as things have been in a long, long time as a Raiders fan. <laughs> We've had some bad moments. So. And do you do you believe the, the talk that the reason they decided to go with McDaniels over Carr was the fact that the McDaniels contract is guaranteed, whereas obviously at, with that contract that they signed with Carr, they kind of had to get out of jail free card. Oh, I, I 100% believe that because the Raiders are poor. Like in in NFL terms, the Raiders are a very poor team. I mean, 
I would, I think three of the last four seasons, they've missed out on signings because they literally did not have the cash to stump up, you know, for signing bonuses and things like that. So that absolutely played a factor, I think. Um, and yeah, like I think, I do think like the contract they, they made with Carr, like given his age, given what he had produced and things like that made perfect sense from a team, team perspective. I don't think what was planned is that there would be a first-year head coach there when it came to this time. I think the plan was obviously that Gruden would still still be around or whatever. Um, but I do, like, from a purely business decision, I, I, I completely understand it. But then the other argument is that, like, you know, the cap's a myth. Like, you know, when was the last time a team was really punished for, like, salary cap discrepancies and things like that, you know? So... You also need to push the boundary sometimes as well, but from a doing things right point of view, I I I I, I do think it it made a lot of sense that that's who they went with. That said, though, I, I think you know Mark Davis seems to like Josh McDaniels. Like they seem to when you see them engaging with each other, it seems to be like a very cordial relationship and things like that. Whereas there were a number of times over the last two seasons Mark Davis has literally thrown Derek Carr under the bus you know so there's 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 part of that as well you know so um it's just a shame I suppose because again it goes back to what I I, I answered your first question with like that there's there's probably a sliding doors moment for Derek Carr where he's a no I wouldn't say a multiple time Super Bowl winner but I think he's a good enough player that in the right circumstances he could he could have won a Super Bowl. And yet the memory of Derek Carr is going to be probably someone who, even by Raiders standards, underachieved. But that's also going to be the Josh McDaniels legacy at the Raiders. So <laughs> it's a tough it's a tough decision to make. Mediocrity or mediocrity. So when, when you were talking about, you know, pushing the boundaries in relation to the salary cap, um, Mike Shanahan was somewhere not, nodding because <laughs> uh, um, there is a man who um, used it very much to, to his advantage. And I say that as a Broncos fan, um, I'm kind of interested, in, um, you know, because you touched on Andy Bree there and, and his genius and the this offseason, you know, in terms of, and you touch, uh, and I suppose without Lamar, but like last year, it felt like everyone in the AFC West, like, you know, there was the talk of the arms race, right? And remember the the Chiefs were going to take a step back because Tyree Kill was gone and the Broncos had Russell Wilson and the Chargers went out and won the offseason for the seventh uh, offseason in a row. And then even the, you know, the, the Raiders went and got to Josh Adams and Chandler Jones, and this was the, the most stacked division um, in, in football. And then the Chiefs went and won the, the Super Bowl by um, beating the, the Eagles in one of the, the better games that we have seen. Does, does anyone in the AFC West have a, 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 the a possibility of doing anything as long as you have Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes in situ. No, as long as you have both of them, absolutely not. Um, and I think Eric Bieniemy, if he takes over from Andy Reid, I think you've still got probably the best team and the best coach and the best quarterback in the in the division there. But I will say what I uh, what I mentioned. I was asked during the week. You know, obviously. 
Patrick Mahomes has now won two Super Bowls. He's on, you know, five AFC championship games in a row. He's he's very much edging into the do we need to start talking about Tom Brady's record uh, conversation. And I think the one thing that we kind of need to pump the brakes on in that conversation, and it's really difficult because we've never seen a player like him, right? He's he is incredibly special. He he's he's so much fun to watch um, that you can't even though I hate him and I hate his football team for obvious reasons I still enjoy watching it um, but you can't keep going off for a drive getting a painkilling injection and coming back and finishing a game and have a long career the two things are you can win games or you can have a long through it playing through pain or you can have a long career and I think I think we'll see with 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 Mahomes as a QB and I hope like for football's sake I hope we see him for for a long time but realistically having watched quarterbacks play the game in the style he has and take some of those hits that he has that takes four or five more years off your career and you when you do start falling off a cliff you fall off that cliff a lot quicker which is a shame because like I'm not going to say we should change the rules to protect QBs more. Quarterbacks are so well protected. They do not need any more protection. They're up there with goalkeepers in soccer in terms of like probably being overprotected. But if you take the decision that you are going to play through an injury and play through pain, there is going to be a payoff for that. There has to be a payoff for that. And in Andy Reid's case, they've obviously had a conversation where we pulls him like he's t- he's taking him off. He's n- he's not being afraid to say, okay, you're sitting out this drive. But there's obviously a benchmark of what that pain is or what that injury is that they they decide, okay, well we'll work through this and, and we'll go through this. And what I love is that when he goes back in, Reed decides you're either a hundred percent or you're 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 benched. He doesn't take anything out of the playbook. He doesn't change things. He says that. If you think you can play, you have to run my entire offense. And I love that. I think that's, it's kind of calling Mahomes bluff a little bit uh, in the sense that every single player, you, you, you've you been around football long enough to know that no player is ever injured. They always want to go back out, you know. Uh, but by by keeping your entire playbook open, it kind of makes, sends a message that, right, okay, if you're doing this, you're doing it right. You're not, you're not kind of half-assing it or anything like that. And I, I, I think... And to me, like Bill Belichick is obviously a genius and 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 a defensive genius, and someone who has who has done exceptionally well to move through multiple periods of of, of football and the way the game has changed completely and still still win titles. Andy Reid is by I think a decent distance the best offensive coach football has ever seen. He's I'm not a huge fan of some of the gadgety stuff where you have players doing 360s and, and all of that. But some of the play designs, like those fake sweeps where the players were, you know, taking a hard stop and reversing back. He didn't come up with those. I mean, the Jags ran that against the Eagles earlier in the season. But he's a magpie. And he takes what works from everyone else and puts it into his system to make sure it works. Because we all thought... Well, they've no deep threat this year, so everyone's just going to crowd the box and it's going to stop the Chiefs from doing what they did. They went and won the Super Bowl uh, because he was willing to adapt and change. And I think if you're 
that's the beauty of Reed. And I, you know, again, as a Raiders fan, I hated hearing it. But as a football fan, I loved hearing him saying that he had no plans to retire anytime soon because he he's an he's in for anyone who likes offensive football uh, and the offensive offensive side of the ball. He's an absolute inspiration because there's there's nothing he's not willing to try. And I think that's just again, it's the opposite of McDaniel's. It's like this no fear of something not working. Just go for it and see see does it work. And I think the only one in to to my mind right now in football who comes anywhere close, and I think it's someone who's probably undervalued a little bit, even though, you know, he's probably he's probably he's probably overrated to some people. It's Kyle Shannon, and I think just in terms of someone, like, I like you know, for the, the the Rhinos playbooks, I have read a lot of playbooks and looked at a lot of schemes and things like that. See, that works, we can use that. This works, we can use that. What Kyle Shanahan does in the run game, Andy Reid does in the passing game. And the, the coach who comes along, the offensive coach who comes along and who has that, you know, both of those is going to be something special. But yeah, like... The Chargers will probably win this offseason again, but with that coaching setup, they're not a threat. I was disgusted to see the Broncos make such a good decision uh, <laughs> in, in in moving on from, from, from Hackett. But I think Russ is a problem, and I don't know if he solved that problem. And so, you know, that's their issue. But I still think they're 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 in a better position than the Raiders, but it's the Chiefs for the next as long as any I think as long as Andy Reid is there, and as I, as I said, the enemy is a great coach. It's disgusting that he hasn't had a chance, um, either as a play calling head OC or as a head coach somewhere. I think it's just, you know, you mentioned race earlier on in terms of conversation around Justin Fields. It's absolutely race uh, where the enemy is as well. Um, uh, I'd love to. I'd love to think that the Chiefs' succession program is. It, is in place and that's why he's he's not gone anywhere but yeah like it's a shame they're so good because um it's a shame actually do you know what it's more of a shame that they're in the afc west because if they were in any other division i think i could at least appreciate them a bit more but when you don't even have a shot of a divisional title like i my one of my best mates in the world is a titans fan like he's almost guaranteed a division every year because of the ineptitude in the rest of the division so like, what's that like? I, I just wonder, if, I'd just like to know what that feels like for a while. Do you know what's also disgusting about the Chiefs is you're talking about the, you know, Reed's adaptability and his willingness to take chances. They have that on defense as well. Because in Bren, in Brendan Daly, um, and I, I was talking to, to me and Hans, and I probably didn't make the, the point as well as I wanted to, right? That, that Brendan Daly changed this offseason. And um, I was saying, like, is that something we're going to see? And she said, but people change all the time. But they don't have to have once four Super Bowl rings coaching the one position. Like this guy won four Super Bowls, right? Coaching the D line, and then goes, Andy, I'd like a new challenge. And Andy and Spags are like, Yeah, we can work that out, Brendan. And you're like, This is how this organization works, right? They they recognize that they have great coach, but he wants a new challenge, and so they work with him. Yeah, it, I I can absolutely hear you in terms of being in the division with them. It is it is sickening because they make the right decision so frequently from yeah. top to bottom. And 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 you gotta admire the ownership and their willingness to trust the GM and their willingness to trust Andy Reid. And you know, they move off Tyreek Hill. An awful lot of, you know, teams wouldn't have done that. They'd have tried to keep him, they'd have cut others, but 
the Chiefs again make the the right decision. You mentioned the sliding doors moment. I just want to maybe maybe we can we can finish with this because obviously we're we're about twenty twenty one years on essentially. You know the, the tough world game. <laughs> what do, what does the world look like? <laughs> let, let alone the, if if the decision had gone the right way. I think Tom Brady has at least at least three fewer Super Bowls. I genuinely think the Raiders become the force in the AFC, and they would like the Raiders were good at that time, right? And I think it's it's such a long time ago; it's easy to forget. But the Raiders were good, uh, great defense, competent offense, but overall a well-run, well-structured organization. And I think if the Raiders the Raiders go on and win that Super Bowl. If they if they beat the Patriots, I I I have never been more convinced of anything in my life that the, and it's not just because of the crew, they played that game so well to go into Foxborough in those conditions and they should have beat but for the rule they should have beaten the Patriots. I think Tom Brady struggles the next season. I think he does eventually win win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, but I think that the Raiders probably win a couple of the ones that that Brady wins um, obviously it's much you're a Super Bowl champion so you're a much more attractive destination free agents and things like that so that's what I see see happening and, and there's been two of those moments in my in my Raider fandom there's, there's the Tuck Rule obviously which is you know ingrained in, in every Raiders fan who's old enough to remember it but there's the Colts game in 2016 um and Derek Carr behind the best O-line in the league sacked, I think it was five times that season. Like it was a ridiculously low sack rate. Anyway, he, he was the, or sorry, no, sorry. It was the only time in his career he had a sack rate below 5%. That was it. He'd been protected so well all year. And Christmas Eve, Raiders are comfortably in the playoffs. I go to bed and I think it's, it's, it's. My son, my my eldest son, Teddy, it's his first Christmas that he's really going to know what's going on. So I thought, right, Santa's done, go to bed, get up the next morning, really enjoy it. Don't need to watch this game. Raiders are in the playoffs. Be grand. I wake up the next morning, <laughs> Derek Carr has a broken leg. And it's like, oh, does he? Uh, and I think if Derek Carr does not break his leg in that game the Raiders win the Super Bowl that year as well they were an absolute juggernaut on offense and I think that would have been enough to carry them through and again it's, I've said this now three times <laughs> during our conversation people are probably listening going what is he talking about the Raiders were so good that year like and not just in comparison to every other Raiders year that we watched they were just really really good on offense on defense on special teams it, everything you want from you know a team that had a chance to win the Super Bowl and it's just such a shame we did not get to see the the best um, the best version of the, that Raiders team in the playoffs because I'm I will go to my grave convinced that those two seasons the Raiders were robbed of Super Bowls I I will say that like even you know as a division rival seeing Carr go down like he knew immediately it was done I remember that I remember him saying it, it's was it it's gone it's gone or it's broken mm-hmm. um he knew and and it was horrible it was horrible to to watch you hate seeing players at, at any stage get injured particularly when when a player it was like seeing Carson Wentz go down 
um, in 2017. Like you just see eight players who are playing that well get injured at that time time of year. Um, and was that because you at some point I know maybe it wasn't then, but at some point you tweeted saying that you need you needed to sit your your son down <laughs> and have a conversation to to, to endeavor to put him off for for life. Yeah, we've had that conversation many times. As as a Raiders and Man United fan, it hasn't been the best decade, um, for sure. Um, but you know, it's funny, like not because I'm a Raiders fan, but I think a lot because I'm a Raiders fan. I swore that like when my kids were born, I wouldn't I wouldn't force them to support anything. They were free to make whatever decisions they wanted to do about sport. And yet, you know, yeah, it comes Sunday evening, six o'clock, Game Pass or uh, Red Zone might be on, but like on the big screen, the Raiders will be on or whatever. And I'll, you know what, Teddy, come up here and sit down and, and, and watch this game. But what I have definitely learned, I think that was, that for me was the moment where I thought, right, you know, fandom's amazing. And, you know, you know as well as I do, like you get, sport gives you some unbelievable highs. It, it, like, you know. You're you're just back from a Super Bowl. I was at the 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 Falcons Patriots Super Bowl. Now I had no skin in the game from that, right? But there was a there was a kid two seats down from where I was sitting in in the press box that I could see, and he was a Patriots fan, and he was devastated for the first three quarters. Like I mean, he was inconsolable. His dad was telling him like, you know, look, we'll just watch the end of third quarter, and then we'll, we'll go back to the hotel. Like you know, we'll. You know, it's 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 Tommy. He he can do this. Like, and you could see as the Patriots started to come back that this kid, this this overwhelming feeling of I'm watching something special. This is a memory I'm going to have for my entire life. You could almost see it. Yeah, like you could really do. And and obviously the 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 Patriots came back and they won in overtime and things like that. And and. You could see how much it meant to that kid, and that kid was a fan for life. He not this was not just a Patriots fan; he was a sports fan for life because he will be chasing that high for the rest of his life, for hopefully his other like eighteen years on this planet. But on the other side, there was a kid in a Falcons jersey who was beyond devastated, and that's sport. And what I've tried to kind of instill in in the two lads and Teddy and Miles is that like. Love it, like after, like do love it, love the sport, Lo- love like as much as any passion, like whatever you're into, whether it's comic books or sport or whatever it might be, like. But realized that the highs aren't worth the lows, and go try and find somewhere in the middle, because if you don't, if you don't let the if you don't let the wins consume you and you don't let the success consume you, then the losses won't consume you either. And that is such a Raiders <laughs> bleak view of the world. And I apologize for that. But it's the only, like, I, but the thing is, I, I'm lying to myself because, you know, every time, like, to how many one score games did the Raiders lose, like, on the last play of the game this year? Like an idiot, despite having work the next morning, there I was at one o'clock. Isn't there was hoping that the play might go their way. And so we tell ourselves these lies that look, this is the year. Look, I'm out. I'm done. Josh McDaniels, I'm bored with him. No more Derek Carr. I'm bored. But come the first week in September, I'll be there and I'll remain as much as it did 25 years ago. 
I think that is a, a beautiful summation of the relationship that we we have uh, with with sport, and yeah, certainly chasing uh, chasing the those highs, but endeavoring not to get uh, too lows in uh, in in the depths of, of despair when things go wrong, as they frequently do. Um, I I'm very uh, appreciative of the time uh, you have uh, given. It's been great to to chat to you. Um, you have a book out. I do. Uh, a book I am exceptionally bad at, bad at plugging. So I'd like to apologize to, both to O'Brien Press and Phil Quinn, who I, 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 I worked on with the book uh, for that. But yeah, so Phil Phil came to me in lockdown. I had interviewed him when I was working as a sports journalist. He was a 15-year-old uh, in Mead, very accomplished kind of multi-sports person. Well, at 15, ran cross-country played football at a high level, played Gaelic at a high level, played rugby at a high level, could have, this could have been the story of an Olympian. This could have been the story of a, a player who played in the World Cup. But unfortunately, on a on a foggy Sunday morning in November, he, he went up for a header and he took a, a, a blow to the head and in and out of consciousness and comas for three months in Beaumont Hospital, had a 25%, basically had been given a 25% chance to live. And this is kind of what we've done, uh, and the book is called And a Bang on the Ear, um, the water boys, uh, nod to the water boys there for, for, the, for that title. But um, what we've tried to do is kind of a couple of things. We've tried to recreate what happened because everyone ha- everyone who was there has a kind of different version of events now it was all like I'm not going to give too much away but like it was all completely accidental it was one of those freak incidents but everyone has a different memory of it and what was really interesting was kind of hearing from the manager and hearing from other players and hearing from opposition players and hearing from the nurse who was in the ambulance with him going to Beaumont Hospital and things like that and we've kind of pieced it together like a detective novel like that but for me, the most interesting part is, and I hope, I really hope this comes across, is we've tried to reflect what it's like to have a brain injury, an, an acquired brain injury. So it's not a linear biography. So in one chapter, you might start off in at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, and then it jumps forward to 2020, and then it goes back to 1989. And the idea is to give you a sense of what it's like in, in Phil's head, um, because that's the way his brain works. It doesn't you know, acquired brain injuries are different for everyone, but for him, it's like an inability to kind of keep consistent train of thought. And we tried to bring bring that across in the book. And thank Touchwood and and Crossing Fingers and all that. The reviews have been like hugely positive so far, um, and and I think people have kind of got what it is we were trying to do. And I've always wanted, like, from the time I I I started in journalism, um my favorite part was telling other people's stories uh, and to be able to tell Phil's and for him to give me so much of his time and, and, and so much of him because it, you know, it's, it's, I like to think it's, it's very dark in places, this book, but it's, it's quite light as well. Like we try and get the humor in as well. And it it's just been so, such an honor to kind of get that story out there. Cause as I said, it, it, he should have had a book about him being an Olympian. He should have had a book about him being a, a famous football player and that's not he was robbed of all that and and just to that he still gets to tell his story even if it's a a, a disappointing story it's it's nice to be able to do that and uh yeah out um 
on the 20th of March and uh, really looking forward to, to, to seeing what people think of it. Yeah, no, it, it, the story sounds fascinating and you are a, a very, very talented writer. Um, and I can attest to that, um, you know, numerous pieces, but I remember last summer reading a piece, um, that you, you wrote about hope and grief and sports, which is a really, really beautiful piece. And if people out there want to, um, you know, check out more of your stuff alongside the, the book, where can they do that, Steve? Uh, the best bet is probably to just check out my Twitter. You will see a lot of nonsense there, but it is tends to be where <laughs> bad food takes. Um, but you will you will see um, you will see my writing there. And yes, Colin like is laughing away here because he's seen so many bad food takes over the years. Um, but yes, the uh, at Steve O'Rourke um, O H Rourke um, is probably the best bet. And the same name on Medium.com, you can find kind of longer form writing like that but yeah that's very kind of you to say um like it's it sometimes it's just you know yourself with with these things like an idea comes into your head and and you your brain just kind of takes over and autopilot and i'm very lucky that my brain can do that for me sometimes and avoids me talking about how uh so, how sausage rolls are a vehicle for brown sauce and and other such nonsense <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you are. You're you're a really, really great writer. I will say for anyone listening, check the it's the at um Steve H uh, H O'Rourke because Steve also changes uh his name um pretty frequently. So you might not find him um with with his name. Um and I am always always smiled when I would see when you, you did that uh the Stephen would have be after the the vibe, which was uh <laughs> really uh, truly great. One of the one of the great vibes. Um, Steve O'Rourke, it has been a pleasure talking to you and thank you once again for your time. Thanks a million, Colin.